0: You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. We'll give an appropriate warning in advance, and I say it lightheartedly. It's not meant to land too heavy, but today's topic does touch on some more adult themes. We'll put it in the PG-13 category. So if you're someone multitasking, listening to this, this conversation with little ears around, it may be a good time to pause, send those little ears out of the room, and make this more of adult listening time. For just you. The topic on the table today is preparing teens and young adults for marriage. We have an expert and appropriate voice guiding us through this topic today. It's a name you might recognize. Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is a relationship and sexuality educator and coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor with a Ph.D. in counseling psychology from Boston College. She's a frequent contributor on the subjects of sexuality, relationships, and spirituality— and takes on those topics on her Ask a Mormon Sex Therapist podcast series. She maintains a private coaching and counseling practice in the Chicago area where she lives with her husband and three children. She's an active member of the LDS Church. It really was a treat to talk to Dr. Finlayson Fife about this topic. She's very steeped in the education, the literature, and the research. She wrote much of it herself, and although her themes can be very informative and sometimes broad-sweeping, she was very kind in meeting where we hope to meet you, and that is at the home front. In fact, I boiled it down to a simple question of how should parents respond to that first kiss on the Sweet 16? And she was very kind to talk us through the ins and outs of how parents can create an open, healthy dialogue around the topic of relationships, marriage, and ultimately sexuality. So we're grateful to her for her time, grateful for her expertise. And I think you'll find this to be very informative and inspiring as you try to create Create and prepare for those healthy relationships for your kids later in life. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Dr. Finlayson Fife, welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm honored to have you as a guest.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited to have you. I mentioned to you off record that I've been a fan of yours and a follower for so long. I'm, I'm a fan of the messaging you put out, the way, the upfront positive way you approach these kind of topics. So I'm really grateful to have you as a guest.
1: Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: This topic of preparing teens and young adults for marriage is, is an interesting one, I'll say. I'm, I'm not quite in this headspace. I have little ones on the ground, but I imagine there are a lot of parents out there anxious to make sure the culture that they are creating in their home is one that promotes healthy relationships and ultimately healthy sexuality. First, though, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. You've carved out a rather unique niche between your personal faith and your professional work.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, I grew up in Burlington, Vermont, um, in the church. My family was very um, involved because the church community was so small here. So I really grew up highly involved in the church, but also living in this sort of larger culture that wasn't LDS. So I kind of lived in two different worlds. Sure. Which I think actually really shaped kind of who, what I've done professionally, because I was always trying to make sense of each culture from the perspective of the other one, Mm. which I think, you know, allowed me to see a lot of our strengths as well as some of our liabilities and challenges. I was a student at BYU, but then when I got my PhD, I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency and, and was using feminism to critique our traditions around sexuality and women, but also using l d s teachings to critique feminism, <laughs> so I kind of that's very much sort of the frame <laughs> that I have kind of lived in and and it's been informative and um and then I just kind of naturally moved into this I really wanted to help uh, members of the church to have better relationships and better sexual relationships and so it's been an easy uh direction to move in. It's something I have a lot of passion about.
0: I have to imagine in the early years, though, you were you were met with some some pretty unique reactions. This was an uncarved space, so to speak.
1: Yeah, especially in the beginning. I remember after I, I was at my dissertation defense, and I remember my professor saying, "You really need to find a way to get this research and some of these ideas out there because there were some LDS women who who were really had thrived, and others who didn't." And he, I remember my professor saying, "You really need to get more of this." I- ideas out to help people to know how to thrive more, but I just really didn't know how to do it. I didn't sure. sort of see a path, but this was in 2002. The internet was not so much a thing then in the way it is now. Yeah. And after my kids were had grown up a little bit and I had a little more space, there was just this natural place to start talking about it. it definitely at first, I think people were much more afraid. And to be honest, I was a little bit too. I didn't want to destroy anything or hurt anybody's belief or anything like that. But I felt like it was important to start thinking about some of the challenges we have. And I think it resonates with enough people that they're trying to find a way to belong to their sexuality and their faith, that they want a way to be good, but also to embrace this gift of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I think when people could see that I was offering a way to reconcile those two I, I would actually say I've probably gotten much less pushback than you might think. Yeah.
0: No, it doesn't surprise mm-hmm. me, actually. Your tone is always extremely on point and respectful. I'm trying to think of, I think those two words summarize it well. And I think mm-hmm. it, it appears at least you always lead with that that thread of faith. And and and, it, and and you're very vocal in saying, you know, it can coexist. These These smart talk conversations and a strong foundational faith can exist in the same conversation in the same room. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Where do you think parents go wrong? I hate to start with a negative question, but in terms of talking about sexuality with our kids, which is our focus today, are there any mm-hmm. standouts, you know, well-intended albeit mistakes yeah. that parents might make as we start to engage in these conversations of, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, relationships, where do we miss the mark?
1: Well, I think a very common way is that while we may believe on some theoretical level that sexuality is a gift or it's a good thing or it's a good thing in marriage a lot of parents are really ambivalent about that mm. and often for good reason they've seen ways that it's been destructive in their own life or ways that their spouse has struggled with it and so they are anxious about sexuality and so and are afraid that in some ways it's satan's pathway that it's something that could in fact harm their children or you know seduce them into a more indulgent life and so i think what happens sometimes unwittingly is we offer both the idea that sexuality is good but stay as far away from it as you can and that it's stronger than you are and i think that idea while i can understand why it's, that some people have felt that way or feel not in control of their sexuality, to give the message that you're not the driver in this or that you can't somehow shape who you are relative to the gift of your sexuality, Mm -hmm. in fact, does a deep disservice. Because as soon as you're afraid of something, you're less able to handle it. As soon as you feel like it's stronger than you, you no longer relate to it from your strength of self and your clarity. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think we need to deny that sexuality certainly can, you know, be powerful. It's a powerful feeling, powerful desires, um, but that they're valuable, that they're important, these feelings, and that they are there to be able to create a loving relationship um, down the road with someone we love and that how we're in relationship to these feelings Matters so that we have choices to make along that path. So we don't. We want to make sure we equip our kids with the idea that they're the architects of their lives, and that mm, good word. they get to make decisions around how they relate to this part of being human and this gift that they've been given.
0: So we're essentially replacing any fear or fear-based conversation set with one of control, like a tone of ownership.
1: That's right, of a sense of stewardship and agency is really important and because as soon as something feels scary especially around sexuality we actually increase its allure that's the other thing is that Mm. we almost give it this through making it a little scary and a little forbidden we actually kind of drive a perverse attachment to it Mm. and so a lot of times unwittingly we create exactly the thing we're trying to not create
0: that makes sense. A curious 16-year-old might be more drawn to something that seems mysterious or forbidden. That's a good word as well, as opposed to more of an open dialogue where it becomes a little more natural and part of the conversation. That's right. Talk to me about this idea that sexuality can be a way to know and accept oneself. This, this feels like a big theme, especially as we're trying to translate it to you know the preteen or the teenage mindset.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So again, you know, I... I talk a lot about sexual integrity. And what I mean by that is being able to integrate this gift into our sense of who we are as human beings. Again, if we're really afraid of it, a lot of times people try to push down the feelings or they kind of split their sexuality off from their sense of self Mm -hmm. so that it's more indulgent or compulsive, but kind of detached from them. So really accepting this gift is take some courage because... It, it's a way of knowing what it means to be human, to be accepting of the fact of our sexual nature. And then the question of what do I want to create or become relative to this gift? What do I? How do I want to be in relationship to it and to a future spouse and so on? So the people in my dissertation research and the people that I've worked with in counseling and coaching settings is, you know, the more that people... Feel comfortable with the fact that they're sexual, even if they're very conservative in their behaviors premaritally. But they basically feel positive about the fact of being a sexual being. Mm-hmm. They transition most. They transitioned most comfortably into marriage, and because they had embraced or kind of integrated this sense that this is okay, and not only is it okay, it's a good part of being human, and I'm excited about this part of my. Uh, human nature i feel good about it and so to your question to a little more specifically you know a lot of times we think well i'll be there for my spouse it's almost an easier idea that i'll be there for my spouse sexually then i'll let myself know my own thoughts and feelings and desires and know and understand my own sexual nature That takes some courage to be able to embrace ourselves to that degree, to embrace our capacity for pleasure and desire, to let ourselves be given to, to receive pleasure. A lot of us have this idea that really good people don't do that or won't do that. They only sacrifice for others. But then we really kind of limit our relationship to being human, Mm -hmm. to pleasure, to joy, but also, we really limit our ability to be happy in a marriage and especially an intimate marriage. Mm-hmm. So,
0: as a parent, again, with our goal here being to prepare young adults, prepare teenagers for a healthy marriage, for healthy relationships, as a parent, I might not be exploring themes of my own sexuality, obviously, within appropriate boundaries with my kids. What are some practical everyday ways I can promote those themes or promote that kind of acceptance in my home in a way that
1: they'll absorb, again, with those boundaries in mind? Sure. I mean, I think that children are mapping their parents and their parents' feelings about sexuality much more than parents might recognize. And that doesn't mean that they need to know anything they don't need to know. I mean, meaning parents can have full privacy. But does mom recoil when dad hugs her Uh or does she like it? Does she enjoy being touched by dad? Does she like dad? You know, These are messages that the kids can see and track. And so, you know, if you feel that sexuality is a good thing, you feel comfortable in your body as a parent, you live in a way that's, um, you're not indulgent with Mm -hmm. your sexuality in a way that's destructive, but you are comfortable with it and you use it in ways that bless your life and bless your marriage. Your kids can feel that. They will just be more comfortable with the fact of sexuality, even if you don't talk about it that much, really. So
0: the physical touch, the the squeeze in the kitchen, or the the verbalizing of affection, or those little things, what I'm hearing
1: you say, those little things will be picked up upon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kids know if mom and dad like each other. And so that's part of it. And then I think there's also being able to accept your children and their sexual natures from the beginning you know, if you see your child at age three, you know, touching themselves in the bathtub and you, you know, shriek in fear, (laughs) that's a message, right? Yes, Yes, You're unwittingly even giving them a message that something scary or frightening is happening. You can set boundaries with your kids or help them understand what polite behavior is or appropriate behavior is without shaming, without making them feel afraid of their... Body's capacity for pleasure. So you, kids can track also, is mom or dad just comfortable with my embodied nature? Um, mm. Are they comfortable being affectionate with me? That's another way of, of you know, mm. like that parents obviously in a, an appropriate way or pick up their kids, hug them, squeeze them, you know, kiss their cheeks. You know, th- there's a lot of messaging that the f- body and physicality is good And then I think another way is just are mom and dad available to answer questions when I ask them, you know, Mm -hmm. again, parents are often giving messages about how comfortable they are with these topics that they don't even realize they're giving off. And especially in that pre-adolescent stage, when kids are starting to learn things, but haven't moved into full adolescent sexuality, that's a time when they're often looking for signals from their parents. And, um, you know, if they trust their parents are comfortable enough with the topics, they will often come and ask questions or be receptive to parents, giving them input on these topics. That's a really kind of golden age of, in, of, of downloading information and also your values around sexuality.
0: Talk to me about this idea that men and women are different kinds of sexual beings. That's how we learn it, I think, mm-hmm. you know, through various channels, both in the home, even as I consider how, you know, sexuality was discussed within proper faith context. You know, they're treated separately. They're treated differently. Give me your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, that's true, uh, that men and women may relate to both desire and arousal and pleasure Differently, And one of the limitations that we sometimes have culturally is that we have framed sexuality too much as being about men and men's pleasure and mm-hmm. women's accommodation of that. You know, too many of my clients were whispered on their wedding night by their well-intentioned mother, you know, to the bride, like, don't ever say no to him, you know, make sure you keep him happy sexually uh, as a way of, you know, that he won't go anywhere else as a way of making sure he's happy with you or happy with the marriage. Even though that's, I think, messaging that's designed to keep the daughter from getting a divorce or a husband who would cheat on her, it's not a frame that really works in marriage. You really have to, the marriages that thrive, see sexuality as something that's valuable and important for both people. And even if we are different and um, have different needs, that we're willing to work together to sort out what really works for both of us. Yeah. And how do we be good team players and create something shared and meaningful? Because in really good marriages, marital sexuality is a really important ritual, even a sacred ritual. I know that sounds a little bit lofty for probably a lot of people but there is a kind of anchoring and centering that it can be for couples when they've really created something that's shared and too often people just use it as like okay well keep him happy and a lot of husbands go along with that but both suffer in that meaning because of the resentment that grows usually on both sides when it's one-sided
0: so indulge me if you will in a repeating question but again sure. how would i translate that 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 broader sweeping theme sure. to my teenager or to my young adult i assume mom can offer affection mom can smooch dad in the kitchen and they'll pick up on that
1: anything else Yes that that's true and what i would also say so yes if they see that mom likes sexuality and they're never going to say that to themselves in their own mind but yeah. they yeah. get Let's it hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but they get Thanks. it right <laughs> but i think you can also say explicitly you know especially a dad to a son like you know it really matters that you create something shared this is about both of you and hmm. spending time it's going to be easier for you to have pleasure at first than for her um I would say the same to my daughter you know that it your pleasure matters just as much and and so be patient with yourselves know that it won't work out immediately you know all the movies out there around the first sexual experience that's just, you know, blissful and orgasmic right away are (laughs) false. And so, you know, being more able to understand that this is usually a learning process. It can be awkward at first. It can be uncertain at first and nothing is going wrong. And just some loving perseverance and sorting things out and coming to know each other better. That's a very meaningful process and part of what makes it sacred in a sense because it's shared between two people, a very imperfect process of creating something meaningful for both.
0: Well said. Well said. Can I even dial it back? You're being so kind to indulge my sure. on the home front questions. But e- even if we were to dial it back from, say, sexual relations, take me to that first kiss. A 16-year-old comes home and she's, you know, giddy and Twitter-pated. And what's a good reaction, speaking to that upfront tone that we want to promote and that open, accepting kind of dialogue, talk me through a scenario like that. How might a mom or a dad respond to something like, like as simple as a, a first, you know, sweet
1: 16 kiss oh. in a way
0: that might promote this healthful I think- I think,
1: I think it would be excitement from the parent to okay. to like congratulate. I mean, I don't know if that's quite the right word, but excitement about her moving into a new a new phase of life, a kind that of space. welcoming of her, the beginnings of her kind of shared sexuality. Yeah, and yeah. you know and, and and honestly i parents might think oh my goodness maybe then she thinks the next step is you know being more sexual or whatever and yeah. people often think that falsely in fact the more that children feel that their sexuality is okay that their parents um trust them in moving into their adulthood embrace them moving into that adulthood the wiser they are about it they don't need to go and get some guy's validation at their own expense the more they will choose a nice person to be with so in fact you know there's research that shows the better a daughter's relationship is with her father the slower she is to have her first sexual experiences and mm. the the happier those experiences are so that kind of acceptance and joy in seeing your child move into her adulthood is is a is definitely helpful to her in being able to embrace herself and value herself and set her up to create and expect that in a marriage and you touched on this i'd love to hear
0: a little bit of elaboration on the idea that there could be parents listening saying Okay, I want to I wanna, I wanna meet that mark. I also don't want to promote or encourage beyond the scope or beyond age-appropriate behavior. What's the balance between celebrating, getting excited, this new chapter, this new space in life, and also maintaining those proper boundaries that we hope to promote and teach as parents?
1: I, I don't really see them as contradictory. You can both celebrate that that first kiss was exciting and, and that she feels all those good feelings of that you know the intimacy of that even at a 16 mm-hmm. year old level while still holding and valuing you know care, caution and and care in sure. the sharing of one's self and one's sexual nature so i don't see them as um in any way contradictory it, and I don't think you have to sit down right then and go over boundaries again, you know what I mean? I think, right, right, let's uh, you know, just not kill the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so I think you can both celebrate it and really, you know, I think that that's not the moment, but probably earlier conversations in which you're sort of offering your framing and what you believe is yeah. important in allowing them to think through some of those boundaries, especially yeah. at age 16, it's much more internalized at that point and coming much less from the parent. But the more that that, Daughter has already thought about what she wants. I you mean know, one of the biggest defining realities is this issue of self-respect and honoring and listening to herself. You know, the women in my dissertation research who did the best job of obeying the law of chastity had actually claimed this for themselves at an earlier age. That this is what they wanted. That they f- they actually all felt good about the fact of their sexual natures. They felt some positive anticipation for their futures. But it really belonged to them. It wasn't because, you know, somebody was going to be upset with them if they went across that boundary or that, you know, that this was coming from outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. So the more that the daughter owns her sexual nature and her choices around it, the more conservatively she will tend to choose. Mm -hmm. It's when people are actually trying to please others. I don't want this guy to be unhappy with me. I don't want my parents to be unhappy with me. I don't want the bishop to be unhappy with me. The locus of control is too far outside of themselves, and they're more vulnerable to being coerced or going against their values in those interactions that's interesting as we talk
0: and kind of develop this idea of of setting up our teens preparing our young adults for a healthy marriage and ultimately healthy sexual relationships too you say you say challenges have a place in this conversation that we need to make sure they're aware that challenges will
1: come up mm mm-hmm. well you know when i was growing up i I had this idea that if you were going to marry the right person and you, mar- in fact, married the right person, there wouldn't be challenges. I mean, I don't know where I got that idea.
0: <laughs> but somehow... Wait, it... you mean
1: that's not true? That's not true? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just thought we were going to look like an ends in cover from the beginning, and it was just all going to go along swimmingly. And I, I remember because I actually dated my now husband for uh, you know much longer than most people, and I felt much more aware of the things that could be challenging or the things that could be hard. Cause I'm a little bit older when I met him and I remember thinking that must mean he's the wrong choice. And I, you know, I finally got over that after, you know, consulting with wiser people about that. And, but I, I know that that in some ways interfered rather than seeing at as this is a normal part of joining your life with another person, that you're going to have differences if you're showing up honestly. And you're going to have differences that show up in the sexual realm. You'll have differences that show up in the day-to-day. And what creates a good marriage is not one person just yielding resentfully to the other person's pressure, but instead creating something that you can both be at peace with creating making decisions together that you can both feel at peace enough with that's a process and it helps you better understand yourself better know your spouse it helps you in the sexual realm rather than we're a failure if we're having trouble what can we learn about ourselves and understand about who we are to create something that's fits for who we are that brings peace to our life and our marriage. And so I think if people see it more as a developmental process, a puzzle to be solved rather than, you know, it it comes down to the right choice. Mm -hmm. It's really about all the choices you make along the way. And, you know, as I talk about a lot in some of my online courses and so on is that, you know, marriage drives our development or it's a very effective way for our development to, to um, happen because, it exposes our limitations through the difficult places. And so you can either resent those or resent your spouse, or you can utilize them to let it expose where you are in that developmental process.
0: I recall in my early 20s, you know, as I was trying to progress in some more thoughtful and invested relationships, being told quite often that it shouldn't be this hard. Mm-hmm. Like it shouldn't be this hard. The chemistry should kick in and the natural connection should take over. And I appreciate what they're saying in the sense that there is a levity and a lightness that comes with right relationships or with, you know, with sound connections. But what I'm hearing you say is we can't we can't lean away because things are feeling like work.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Perhaps if you're in the dating phase and just something on too many levels is not clicking, maybe yeah. then you could say this is too yeah. hard, right? But but exactly that you lean in and you and you that that's the value of commitment is that you're willing to kind of push yourself into that struggle even when it hurts even when it's painful because that's a refining process and I think sometimes. Look, it's wonderful when things are going well, really? It's wonderful mm-hmm. when life mm-hmm. kind of comes together in these beautiful, beautifully fortunate ways. But a lot of what we learn in life is when things are not working. It's when things are pushing on us and they hurt. And a lot of learning happens when the way that we relate to the world is is falling apart in a sense or no longer helping us answer the the questions that are in front of us hmm hmm
0: Ultimately, you know, all of these, these points, and they've all, been, they've all been so wise and insightful, they boil down to an openness or an attitude of openness um, mm-hmm. that I think has to start with that communication. How do we know if we are promoting that right vibe in our home, that we do have—I always like to ask for a benchmark, and I know it yeah. always can't be pinned down into one exact precise principle, but is there, is there a way parents can know, kind of a self-check that, yeah, I am promoting this open, healthy dialogue?
1: Well, I think one benchmark can be that there's not a lot of anxiety around the topic of sexuality. You know, when my kids were younger, they're all teenagers now, uh, but when they were younger, they would come and ask me questions sometimes they were a little embarrassed to be asking the questions.
0: I was going to say, what's that like for them to come to a mom who has, you know, the sex therapist specialty? What What is that? Is that too personal to ask? What is no. that dynamic like in your family or in your home? Uh,
1: well, I mean, when they were especially kind of pre-adolescent, I think they saw me as somebody who would give them the answers and not be embarrassed by their questions and could be pretty uh-huh. straightforward. You know, as they were getting closer to 12 or whatever, I remember my son coming and asking a question, I don't know if I'll say what the question was because it was something he'd heard about <laughs> okay. in middle school. But, okay, he's like, all what's, right. What's the meaning of this? And uh, I said, I'm I'm happy to tell you. It might be a little embarrassing for you, but I'm more than happy to tell you. And he's. I said, Do you want me to? And he he put his head down and he said, Okay. He said, Okay, go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no eye
1: contact, but go exactly. ahead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want to hear it because I don't know how else to get the information safely. But go ahead. Um, you know, but I think that. But I guess I think what's also true is that there's just a general comfort with the topic. And so my kids will say things to me or talk about things with me because I think they feel like, mom's not going to freak out. She can handle it.
0: Yeah. Well, and mom has the words. That's part of it too, right? I mean, these conversations don't come up often enough that we feel comfortable necessarily in them. I mean, in terms of frequency, but if we ourselves are educated, I I can imagine just the comfort of you having that vocabulary would set a good tone.
1: Absolutely. And, And when you've really come to peace with sexuality as a topic yourself, that you see it as a normal part of being human, you really can accept the fact of it in your children, that you trust your children's ability to make good decisions. I mean, not that they can't make dumb decisions sometimes, but I mean that you trust that basically that they are the stewards of this and that they are going to sort this out imperfectly. When I think your kids can feel that you believe that, you're a safer resource. If they think mom or dad is super anxious about this, would really, they say I can talk to them, but they really prefer I don't, <laughs> they, they will track that also and, and find their information elsewhere.
0: Overall, do you feel us getting better at that, at this, yes. at the openness and the education?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, it's really true because when I first started, you know, talking and doing podcasts, I think it got people more distressed than it does now. It's much more normalized now within our cultural conversations, which is really good, really wonderful.
0: What is the next step you would like to see us take as a culture, as a church, as a faith-based people, or a level up that might put us closer to the benchmark you described?
1: You know, I think that maybe it would be a little more conversation that's less about fear of particular behaviors We can have some of that framing, but more of a vision about what you're trying to create and develop within yourself to be capable of intimate marriage so that we're a little bit less afraid of our emerging sexuality and more of a direction around what we're trying to channel that sexuality towards.
0: So less literal, less box checking. Yes,
1: exactly. And a little more using our theology that really provides for it, that we embrace the body, that we embrace this ability uh, to love and be loved through through our embodiment and that we believe in the importance of marriage and intimate marriage. I mean, I think a lot of that's already in place for us but we need to set our sights a little bit higher and trust our kids and ourselves a little bit more to be able to assert choices that create good things in our life. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like if we just sat around saying, don't eat sweets, sweets are bad, candy's bad. You know, it it just, you develop a little bit of a obsession and fear of sweets. If you say, Mm -hmm. okay, pleasure is good. Sweets are good. They have a place, but you want to make sure you're really creating this healthy body, this healthy lifestyle, because that's what will really give you joy. So it doesn't mean there's no place for sweets, but you want to be wise and thoughtful. Well, that gives a direction to it. And so then it allows you to integrate the pleasure without it running your life, either through your fear of it or through your obsession with it.
0: Yeah, it's a celebration of agency, ultimately, which yes. is such a great gift. You'd hate to deny anyone of that. That's right.
1: And a, and a oh. celebration of our creative nature, too, of what we want to become and create and do. Well, you, you
0: frame these big themes in ways that just make sense. And you were so kind to indulge me as I kept bringing it down to the first yeah. kiss level and yeah. hopefully meeting parents where they are. So thank you so much. What a treat. What a pleasure it's been. Where can we connect with you and get more of your courses and your work?
1: Sure. It's all on my website, which is just my... Last name, which is hyphenated, so finlayson-fife.com. And you can find my podcast there, as well as um, courses that I teach for an LDS audience to couples um, around relationships and sexuality and how to parent your kids around these topics, Well, as well as a sexuality course for men and for women separately. So, great, yeah, it's all there.
0: We will link that website below. Thank you so much, Dr. Finlayson-Fife. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. Thanks for jumping into our conversation today. We'd invite you to subscribe, like, rate, or review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we hope you're able to join in next time. Thanks for listening. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.